That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Super thrilled about this one because for years, Jay Yarrow and Farhad Manju had a podcast, The Jay and Farhad Show. You might remember Jay Yarrow from his time at Business Insider, but of course now he's an executive editor at CNBC, now a big deal. And Farhad, of course, has always been a big deal, New York Times tech columnist. Well, the boys stopped doing their podcast late last year, which was a super bummer for a lot of us. Jay and Farhad had a super cool chemistry, and I know a lot of people for whom the show was unmissable. Well, I got Jay and Farhad to put the band back together. So you're about to hear a special reunion episode of the Jay and Farhad show. And believe me, you're going to get a taste of that special chemistry. But first, how do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for 100 different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, security notes or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepasswordcom ride. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to Zoc ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. 
Okay, back together again like a classic indie rock band from the 90s, Jay Yarrow and Farhad Manju. Uh, Jay, how about just for old time's sake, uh, why don't you do the honors with the intro? Hello! <laughs> I'm sorry. No, do it again. I spoke over you. Okay. Hello! It's the Jay and Farhad Show reunion. I'm Jay Yarrow, executive editor at CNBC. You are... I'm Farhad Manju, and we are back. Actually, we're not back. We're just doing a special. Well, you, you can't imagine, Jay, how many times I've been tempted to open with a hello, but I figure that that's yours, and everyone would know it, and I can't. I'm not going to oh, step on Oh, it's okay. Like I think I stole it from Henry Blodgett's Twitter bio, I think. I think Henry Blodgett's oh, really? Twitter bio, I if you look at I think it says, hello, I'm the CEO of Business Insider, something like that, which I always found like amusing that it said hello. So I'm pretty sure that's where it was inspired by. Well, let's get this out of the way first. Uh, wither the Jay and Farhad show. Is it dead, dead? Is it just resting? What's going on? It's like resting. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, you can't kill something that was never alive, right? So, <laughs> so, so what happened? So I, you know, I loved doing this show because it's just me and Jay talking. And Jay's fun to talk to, and we didn't do any preparation. The problem is, like, scheduling is hard. Like, we're, we live on different coasts, and we would always try to get someone else on. So then you have three people trying to get on, and, like, Jay's job got kind of busier, and my job got busy for a while. I don't know. And we, I have two kids, so I, and no one's busier than someone with two kids, as Jay knows, I think. <laughs> um, so we just, like, never found time. And it wasn't like no one's paying us for this. Um, right. It's not affiliated with the Times or CNBC. It's just like us talking. So, and then Jay um, didn't want to pay for the SoundCloud account. So that was the well. That's, I mean, it was more you kept like you were also also Farad was writing his book. Um, and yeah. So like that kind of took time away from doing it. And there was there was you know like I I'm executive editor of CNBC. Like we you know when we started doing Ooh, it like fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, when we started doing it, Farah was a technology columnist, and I was like a tech editor slash reporter, and things had changed for both of us. And it, but bottom line is, it's not like it was a hobby. It, it was right. and is a hobby for us. And so you know, it came and went. And like between like with Farah doing his book, it, he could never make it uh, to do the thing. And then yeah, so th that's just sort of how it went to the side. It's not like. It's not dead. It's just we like we've tried here and there and it just hasn't worked out. Well, that does yeah. explain why uh, the archives are offline. But by the way, guys, I know of a ton of, <laughs> of, of free hosting podcast hosting companies uh, that you could throw that back up. Yeah, on. but we'd have to like Google for that. And then, you know, no, you, you, you could you and... could ask Brian and Brian would tell you. <laughs> okay. now, number one. Also, by the way. Um, you have tons of fans. The amount of times that people have mentioned your show um, in passing, you know, and, and just in conversation, like, and, and I told you guys a million times on Twitter, number one, the only thing that makes podcasts work is having interesting people on and people that have something interesting to say. So you guys had that. And then number two, the magic that you guys hit upon and a lot of people don't wow. is that is that you can't have two hosts that generally agree most of the time. And so, like I told you guys on Twitter, like the best shows were when mommy and daddy would fight. Yeah. Because yeah. you uh, generally, you guys came at most issues at in slightly different directions. So it was great. I think we managed to do, I think like the key to all those kinds of things is that you generally, you, you agree, you just uh, make it seem like you don't agree. You yeah. just agree differently. Like, right, we, right. We, you know, 
I mean, well, I guess that's not true. Farah is like the most conventional thing I've ever encountered. So, uh, yeah, maybe we don't always agree. But we, we certainly appeared that way. I also always, I would always get comments on Twitter that I sucked, which I, I got to say, that kind of hurt. But, you know, no, I, understand. I, I, mean, I don't disagree. I, I, I actually disagree. You don't suck. I think that a lot of the times I was just not paying attention to the stuff <laughs> you were saying. And you were sort of like really carrying, carrying the show. Um, you know, for that, I thank you. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Twitter people, they could have a point. You may suck. I don't know. No, I, I wouldn't argue. And, like, it's very, by the way, very, very kind of you to say all that stuff. Uh, no, gonna, I just mean I was looking at Twitter not you. while you were speaking. I didn't mean that's you. I meant Brian. So uh, that's, but, you know, it's funny that um, I get, we did get, like, we would get occasional tweets. We would get occasional inquiries. Hey, where's the podcast? And and I did a podcast before this a long time ago. Uh, we did it at when it was uh, Business Insiders, like Silicon Alley Insider. It was like with Dan Fromer and Nick Carlson. And we stopped doing that, uh, And but we'd get comments. It's, there's something about podcasts that is like, it's obviously an intimate thing. You're speaking, you're in someone's ears. It's usually, you don't really listen to podcasts with other people, it's just you're usually solo. Um, so it's very flattering when people ask and it's very kind, uh, because yeah, I, stopped, I, am... I stopped writing and nobody said, Hey, only one person, Eric Jackson said, I wish you still wrote. Nobody's ever done that, but <laughs> stop doing the podcast and I get some of that. I get, um, I get comments about it all the time. I mean, even when we were doing it, people would say they're fans of it. Um, it's, uh, it was sort of like, I mean, I think it's the thing about podcasts is you create this very intimate relationship with the hosts. And, um, uh, I, 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 feel that way about podcasts I listen to. So I can, I can imagine that it, it hurts some people deeply to not hear me every week. So, <laughs> well, to try to give people a, a taste of the magic that they're missing. Um, let's, let's, let's kick off. I'm going to ask you to pick your poison. Um, Apple or Facebook, or maybe even Apple versus Facebook. What do you guys, what do you guys wish that you had the podcast to talk about over the last <laughs> week or two? Um, I don't know. You know how we used to do it? it was we like in the in the sort of end we used to just look at tech memes and see what was popular on tech memes. <laughs> that was, well, that, we would spend time making fun of tech memes. Right. Anyway. We would just make. But fun I love Gabe. I love tech memes. But here, here's what. Here, how about this? Here's the angle that I would say. Here's the angle I've been thinking about, particularly after Facebook. What exactly is the scandal with Facebook? I know, like everyone says, they they've been scandal played. Can you, like Farhad, tell me what's the scandal with Facebook that's happened this year? Like what's what's the what's the thing? Uh, not this year, Cambridge Analytica, which was like several years ago, but basically, and what was the Cambridge Analytica story? It was giving, giving friends of your friends, giving this research company access to basically all your data um, without a right, lot. Which of happened how many years consent. ago? Like five years ago, and then they turned it off, right? Right, they turned it off, although they didn't get the data back. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> so, like, and then they, and then. Um, the other things, uh, what, um, the entire um, Russian influence operation, although we don't really know. I mean, I think there's just sort of very little evidence that that sort of made a difference in the election. But it obviously sort of added to this like social concern about Facebook's power in the news and Facebook's sort of um, like just the rise of misinformation and the spread of misinformation and its role in the 2016 election. Um, I think that was like the scandal, the main scandal of Facebook. Um, also, there was uh, there's all the ad metric stuff, um, you know, like basically fake uh, uh, numbers for in several different ways. Well, the problem over... on the ad metrics thing is to me, uh, I feel like advertisers and clients are 
they have a way of measuring. Like, I don't think most clients today are measuring just like impressions of an advertisement. Like they, they have an outcome, like they kind of try to tie back to see is something happening on the other side of our marketing dollars, particularly for digital. So you don't I, think the numbers, I mean, that was the whole promise of, of digital media, like we would know. Um, and then the kind of the, the ad metric stuff at Facebook kind of undercut that whole argument. Um, the other is all those discriminatory um, ad selling practices that ProPublica pointed out, you know, like we want to block uh, certain races or religions uh, or or advertise to, to, you know, Nazis or whatever. Um, <laughs> there's one of those. Uh, what else? There's. Um... Listen, just this week, I was the one that put me over the edge was the um, kids being able to spend their parents money playing uh, Angry Birds on Facebook. And they knew that and they designed it to be that way. Right. Wait, what is that? One. What was it? Say, I missed that one. This is why you should listen to the tech meme right home, Jay. Obviously. Uh, yeah, long story short, they essentially, uh, kids were racking up like $5,000 playing games because, you know, you'd have these in-app purchases. Oh. The kids had no idea that the accounts were tied to their parents' credit card account. There's all these eternal documents that came out that sh that allegedly Facebook knew about this and called it friendly fraud, in quotes, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess for me, another scandal is... Uh copying or completely yeah just decimating snapchat copying stories but that's it a scandal eh, i mean it's i think it's unfair and monopolistic um wait but is your argument that there's no scandal no i mean my 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 argument is just like when you're coming into this earnings report and it's like you know all this like like facebook has had this like huge negative perception um hanging over it all year and then I'm trying to think, like, if I zoom back and think about, like, okay, as a user, what am I really outraged about with Facebook? Like, what is, like, what, what is it that... What about the addiction stuff? Like, um, they, they even published research, Facebook did, about how just, like, mindlessly scrolling on Facebook is, like, bad for your health in several ways. Um, so, there was that, too. It's bad for your... It's, you know... I think but, that it's like the people have free will. They make that choice. Like it's bad for your health. It's not cigarettes right, I'm just bad saying for your that health. there's there's not like I so so yesterday they released earnings that suggested that people are still like really yeah. love Facebook and advertisers love Facebook and like Facebook is doing really well. Um, I guess I was like minimally surprised because they did have, especially in North America, they'd had like flat numbers for several quarters. It looked like they were declining. They even sort of suggested that they would um, try to, that, that like they expected um, declining engagement. And so um, it was a little bit surprising, but you know, I don't think it's, um, I mean, it's an addictive product. Like it's, it's not that surprising that people are. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that like, I'm just trying to think about the perspective of your average Facebook user. What has Facebook done in the past three, six, or twelve months that would make you say, "I got I can't do this anymore." I can't. I think the major story is they've, they, you know, it's the same story. Like they have and continue to play fast and loose with people's private information, and it's unclear how they house it. And but, but the other thing about the Facebook privacy story is that like it never has seemed to affect. Uh, you know, people's willingness to use Facebook, like, and so uh, maybe again, we're seeing that that's happening. Like, this is just sort of the latest iteration of like Facebook's kind of loop of scandal, where it's like privacy outrage, 
people. But what's the privacy? Facebook. Like, what's the like the Cambridge Analytica thing was many years old. What's like what's a privacy outrage in all the things you are listing? Uh, no, I mean, I think the pa the Cambridge Analytica thing was many years old, but we learned about it and the scope of it more recently. I feel like that was that was the thing. Uh, yeah. Farhad mentioned fast and loose. What do you guys think about you know playing fast and loose with Apple's rules of the road in terms of using their certificates and things like that? I guess that didn't bother me that much. Oh, well, I mean, not, it... not, not even. In, in fact, I'm kind of shifting gears a bit. Not does that bother you as a user. But maybe I'm thinking more in terms of just the general Facebook attitude of, you know, we're invincible. We can do whatever we want, like even to the point of we're going to poke Apple in the eye. Yeah, um, I guess. I mean, it, I think that I think that it, it suggests something about their internal culture, which I think is like the right target here. Um, they they they. I don't know if invincibility is the right word, but they just seem to have no kind of internal like <clears throat> barriers against doing things that might be good for their business. There's no like internal kind of stops or ethics or just like questions about like, how will this look if the New York Times reported it in detail or like TechCrunch in this case? I, I mean, I like I if I'm in the meeting, if I'm like Mark Zuckerberg or I'm Sheryl Sandberg and, uh, you know, one of my directs or whatever comes up and says, hey, we want to do some market research. Um, and what our plan is, is we're going to offer people 20 bucks a month. So, you know, not that much uh, money, 240 bucks a year. And they're going to give us full access to their devices. And we say, OK, well, what's the age range we're looking at? And let's say whatever it was, 13 to 45 or whatever it was. We say, okay, well, on those teenagers, we're going to make sure that they can sign off, right? And like, we don't want to do anything untoward. Yeah, no, no, of course, they're going to sign off. I'd be like, okay, yeah, if people are willing to let for Yeah, but is it the problem here that they, like, Apple didn't allow that? Like, that wasn't, I mean, it's right, sort of. No, but like, but okay, so like, like, I, I don't know the specifics of why they decided to go the route they did. And like, I also like, why does Apple get to decide whether or not, like, it's my yeah. phone. Well, that's if, the interesting thing, right? It's my phone. And I want to give any, if, I, if someone's willing to pay me 20 bucks a month to get every, to just see what I'm doing. In essence, I give it to Apple for free. So sure, I'll give you 20 bucks. That's but a good argument. There's two things here also, like, you know, people have made the argument just today that like, you know, this shows actually the, the scary power of Apple. Um, and, and then the thing is, the question that I have is, uh, so we're, we're all assuming that Apple doesn't, Apple has, because it's the platform, like I said on yesterday's show, you know, Zuckerberg wanted his own Facebook phone so he could have this information. He never got it. So he tried to do an end round to get it. So how do we know we're all assuming that Apple doesn't do anything with this data, right? I don't know if we're assuming. I mean, I think Apple says that it doesn't do, it doesn't collect this sort of data. I think um, what I'm saying is, is that Apple gives off the impression that we're a, a neutral broker. We're the platform. We're in the hardware business. We're not going to look at your yeah, business I, of your I apps. I mean, that's 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 just false. Like they 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 have a huge problem perception wise, which is like Google pays them nine billion dollars a year to get the search box and everything you type in there goes to Google and whatever. And, and it also turned out that Google had a similar privacy uh, infringing app. Um, but like whatever, whatever sort of position, um, whatever kind of holy privacy position Apple is taking is totally undercut by its Google deal. And I feel like if it really wanted to 
kind of make this point that it's going to try to fight the um, internet advertising business, um, try to reform the kind of privacy of that whole business, um, it should make DuckDuckGo the default search engine. Like, uh, it should do something different about the search engine. It should change the way that it um, operates with uh, with companies like Facebook and Google, you know, in all, in all kinds of ways. Um, also, um, I, I suspect that one reason Facebook felt okay doing that is because, like, Apple may not have been enforcing such rules, like, obviously wasn't enforcing such rules. And, like, the culture of Apple with regard to what um, people can do on those, you know, side-loaded apps maybe wasn't clear. And maybe Apple, you know, um, was sort of winkingly okay with that kind of stuff. We don't know what the, what, like, what signs Apple gave Facebook that, you know, that would have been okay. Jay, do you have any thoughts about... Um... Apple and, and peak smartphone and smartphone recession and that sort of thing? Uh, sure. Sounds like no. <laughs> here's, here's what I would say on Apple. I mean, like, you know, Apple's an unbelievable business, just an unbelievably great business. Like, and it's a bad in its bad quarters, it's doing 84 billion in revenue or whatever. Uh, it's just an awesome, awesome business. Uh, you know, they weren't going to sell iPhones forever. And they suffer, if you want to call it that, uh, by tough comparisons. And I think the Apple Watch is an amazing business. Uh, it doesn't get credit that it deserves for probably being an amazing business. Part of that is because Apple decided not to release unit numbers, so nobody knew, which allows Apple to have this market essentially to itself. But at the same time, it doesn't probably get credit as a result of it. Um, the thing that I would, I'm kind of if you will, curious or thing that I'm going to be watching and I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes is like Apple's whole like services uh, narrative and obsession. I think that that could be dangerous for Apple because- Why? Well, because in order to drive services, it's essentially an upselling business. It's you bought this expensive phone, now we want you to up, we want to upsell you into Apple Care, and we want to upsell you into iCloud storage, and we want to upsell you into uh, Apple Music, and we want to like tack on a lot of stuff. And I think that that can you know it can be it it, it has some risk for a user to be like, oh. gosh, why are they trying to constantly like ping me to upsell me on things? And I think that that's the risk there. No, well, what? So here's what I think. I mean, I've I've heard several people suggest this, so I don't know who to give credit to, but. There's this idea floating around sort of like Apple, um, the like Apple community, Apple fandom and um, some analysts that Apple would, you know, turn would turn over its model into something like the Amazon Prime model where you'd pay, I don't know, like uh, some hundreds, like a thousand or more dollars a year uh, to get it or, you know, every two years to get like a phone um access to their music and TV service. Oh, like Apple uh, Prime, is App what you're saying? Apple Care, yeah. You'd get the you'd get the hardware and the services together. I guys, I, I think I floated this years ago on our podcast, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe it's you. Probably. <laughs> um I think that's a good idea. That's like turning services into this like recurring subscription. Um and you know, I think their long-term bet is on like rich people. They're going to be like continue to be rich people in the world and like you know, if you're a company betting on like inequality you're doing going to do well. I think their huge problem is in China. Um, ben Thompson has written about this often. It's like they don't have a good kind of differentiator in China because like everyone uses WeChat. And so you can move like WeChat is sort of the um, 
the you know the kind of the thing you think about when you use your phone and it's it, it, the difference between an android phone and an apple phone in that environment um you know is, is smaller that's that that's reasonable to me that makes sense i don't know exactly how apple solves that i you know they're smart about software maybe they can figure something out um maybe they just sort of continue to, to decline in china but um but elsewhere i don't see their dominance sort of declining and like um they're and also their hardware to me still seems much better than everyone else's like i don't i don't I I have been using the 10s Max, I guess it's called, and I love it. It's great. The camera's great. Big fan. Yeah, so. I mean, sure. Okay, <laughs> before before we go, uh, Farhad, you you had your piece this week about um, the the woes in digital media. Um, extremely well written, which everyone what, said. Extremely, it, extremely well I, written. Listen, even Henry it, Blodgett. Said I was that. just going to say. So even Henry, well it was okay. Henry was Blodgett Henry pointed said out a great writer. Henry that, was just Henry was saying that because he was about to slam you, so he was trying to like butter you up before he trashed you. So Henry did ha- take umbrage with it. <laughs> um, so first, um, just you know, recap sort of what you were trying to say in that piece, and then I imagine Jay. <laughs> Maybe we'll be taking uh, Henry's role by proxy here. I, it just seems to me like a time of the, like, like the end of the kind of optimistic, innovative boom time of digital media. And that's sad to me. Um, we had this idea that like, it's been good that in the last couple of yeah. years, subscriptions are doing really well at the Times, at some other publications. Um, yeah, and so won't even name them. <laughs> and then uh, there's a bunch of billionaires who are helping people, helping media, buying media, you know, Bezos and others. Um, but I don't think that that's the model for like the world. Um, I mean, not everyone can pay a lot. Most people won't pay. Um, and it's not going to it's it doesn't seem to be making a dent in like local news. Um, and and there was this promise with BuzzFeed and a whole bunch of other companies that kind of grew up around the same time that took VC money that you could build a thriving free media business kind of alongside social media. Social media would be the distribution and you could still make ad money uh, doing it and you could you know, support a newsroom of hundreds. And I think the BuzzFeed layoffs really suggest the end of that kind of hope. Like BuzzFeed is still going to continue, but I think it'll be smaller, less um, innovative, uh, less experimental. It's going to have a far fewer journalists. Like journalism is sort of like... Um, you know, it's just like a branding thing for them. It helps their brand. They don't, I don't think they're going to make a lot of money from it. Um, and this to me is very sad. Maybe it's expected. Like, I think that the thing Henry was saying was that, you know, we expanded the, the business expanded too quickly and like um, it'll get smaller, but not die. But even smaller and not dying is still bad. So, yeah. So I would say you're entitled to be sad. Uh, you can, yeah, I'm not going to stop you from being sad, but I Thank think it's like there's, there's just this over, like, not to be too much of a cliche, like local news is a legitimate problem that I don't think anyone has solved for or figured out. Um, but I do think that I mean, my personal view on local news in terms of solving for local news is that you have one, maybe three, like, I mean, local, local, like at your town level you get like one to five like killer reporters who build like a newsletter that I think people in town would pay for and you could probably do well. Um, yeah, I think that uh, could work. 
Yeah, you know, like someone like a great reporter who can sniff out information in your town and just like a like almost like the town gossip who knows everything. Um, but you know, yeah. whatever local state now state issues like covering like state government. I think that that's probably I, I'm not super smart on this, but it does seem like it's going to be a problem. It certainly seems like it. Um, and but the the other like to the bigger point, I totally side with Henry on this. Like. Look, BuzzFeed is a $300 million on revenue business. That's a great business. That's a really good business. Now, what's, so what's the problem, quote unquote, for BuzzFeed? Well, they raised money. They raised a ton, like $500 million. million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they raised like, I don't know, I think $500 million over the course of their lifespan or whatever. And they raised it at like a $1.3 billion valuation, which means the people who invested, which is like the parent company of CNBC, NBC Universal, they didn't, they, they invested at a over a billion dollar valuation, I believe, which means they thought that would probably be worth $3 billion in like a 10 year span or five year span, which is how that kind of investment usually works. And maybe it's not going to be worth $3 billion in the next uh, two years or five years. That, that doesn't mean it's a bad business. That doesn't mean that it's a bad company. It just means that it's not going to fulfill the expectations that were thrust upon it or that it thrust upon itself a few years ago. And maybe, you know, I don't know the inner workings of BuzzFeed, uh, you know, but maybe they were hiring. They, they had this view of like, let's hire like crazy. We're okay burning cash because we're going to grow the top line and eventually we're going to figure out a really great business and we're going to have margin expansion and that never happened and that or that hasn't yet happened and so now they're in a position where like okay we've built a really good business uh and now we need to figure out how to get profitable and be sustainable and that means like you're going to have to make some hard choices and you're going to make some cuts in some journalistic uh parts of what you're doing but that's sort of like natural and that's how it happens in business like you just can't just hire recklessly and expect everything to work out. Like that's I running a business. I, I, I think that's, I mean, I, I don't think that's exactly right. I don't think they hired recklessly. I think they had a view of the internet that suggested that they, that as, um, the, as the social web sort of recognized the quality of their content, that they would get higher ad rates than like user generated content would. Um, and that didn't really happen. Like what happened right. is that, but so, but, but that's, that's okay. Like, like the New York that's, times, that's, like, so like to Henry's point, like the New York Times, uh, despite you being there, has been really flourishing lately. And so is the Washington Post and they're, they're profitable businesses. Politico is a profitable business. Axios is a great example. Like here's another great example. Axios launched. They say, no, you know, you, we have to take their word for it because they're private. Axios is not making money. Axios did $25 million in revenue in its second year and lost $56,000. If Axios wanted to make turn a profit, it would do it tomorrow. It would just either like let one person go, sorry to whoever you are, or it would just hire one less person this year. Like it could make money. Now, are you looking for, like this gets into something I've been thinking about a lot is how Facebook just totally, I think Facebook scrambled everyone's brains. Like Facebook was this just, un, like the Google was an unbelievable business, like a magic money machine. Literally, people go into Google and ask for things to buy. And so the ads are served to them. It's just unbelievable, huge cash, like a cash machine, just this unbelievable business. And if if, face, if Google existed alone, everyone would be like, well, that's Google. They're just freaks of nature. There's one of them. 
But then Facebook came along and Facebook did it. And so then what happened was everyone's like, oh my God, like these aren't, Google wasn't a freak of nature. There's more than one Google. So it was like Facebook. So then all these like expectations were heaped upon Twitter and Pinterest and everyone else because it was like, well, Facebook proved there's gotta be more than one. So there's probably five of them out there. And then it turns out there's probably only two. And you know, some of this happened in media too, where it's like, you're like, oh, Axios, they're not making money. It's like, okay, like is Axios gonna be a $100 billion company that's like doing uh, a 50% margin? Probably not. Like what's the natural margin on that business? I don't know. Like maybe it's 20, maybe it's 30%. Uh, what's the natural size for the revenue? But also to- you know, they're, they're in year two. Like maybe it's 100 million, maybe it's 50 million. But let's say you built a media business that generated 50 million in revenue and you were able to pocket 10 to $20 million. Would you be happy with that? Like if you built that business and you worked at that company and you were doing high is, quality journalism? Like, not, yeah. Not to not to pimp my own stuff, but like this is what I was talking about last weekend with Rafat Ali. This whole concept of it's not just that, um, you know, everyone, can we do another Google? Can we do another Facebook? It was also that I think that VCs and everybody else thought that you could achieve, you could have a media business that could achieve the scale of a Facebook, where you could have a publication that was read by a billion people every single day. And that's sort of what the, the dream that like the BuzzFeed yeah. of the world sold people on. And that's right. the thing that seems to have been ephemeral. Sure. Right. And I look, think that I like Axios BuzzFeed. is going to, Axios might do well in the same way that Politico did well, which is like, it's, 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 a, they were founded by the same people. It's a, it's an, it's sort of a niche publication for a group, uh, you know, for some types of readers, media junkies in Axios's case. Um, well, but I, Axios would say political and, and business leaders. All right. That's what yeah, say. whatever. Okay. I like Axios. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like wow. Axios, I, but I don't think that it's an example of what I what I think BuzzFeed was trying to go for and what I think we're missing, which is like some newsroom, some digital newsroom on the scale of like the New York Times or the Washington Post that can be sustainable on advertising, like a, a thing that serves like the country or the world or Europe or something. I don't think we're seeing that. What we're seeing is like the New York Times kind of surviving, the Washington Post surviving, and then like, uh, you know. Yeah, but so like what, like that's like, who that says was, there have it, to be a it, thousand it different be... companies? Like it, it wasn't like, you know, it's like there was Buzzfeed, there was Vox, there's Huffington Post, there's yeah. Business Insider. like. That's four. Like, you know, how many do you think? Yeah, how many do you need? It, news is a commodity. Like, it's a commodity business, right? Yeah, I mean, so it's why not, should there not, be a ton of those? You're, you're not, you're, you're not like this. You're just, you're saying it's going to be smaller, uh, and I should be okay with that. I'm just saying, like, I'm not okay with that. I thought that well, we were going like, to have. I thought the internet was going to give us. Um, I thought that it, the sort of dream of the last few years was that we would have, you know, a th perhaps like a thriving news industry, like the gloom of the end of like newspapers. The we do the have a thriving news industry, though. Like we have a thriving news industry. We have a thriving news industry built on business models that are, you know, pretty shaky and dependent on platforms to kind of for like every uh, business is shaky. Like we just like Apple's isn't Google's isn't you just said oh, that. Really? <laughs> Apple just lost three hundred billion dollars in market cap in the past three oh, months. Oh, but that you that their business. Okay, is so so it's not hard. Go ask Tim Cook if he thinks that people out there just like take their hats off to Apple and don't have criticism of it and don't think it's a shaky business. Like every business has haters and critics, and like 
in the media business is the same thing. And like there was this weird like entitlement feeling, I guess, in the media business that everything should work and everything will be fine. Like, you know, these are like the New York Times is a good business. It is. It's not like, you know, it's not Facebook and it's not Google and it's not making iPhones. So but guess what? Those are three of the greatest businesses in the world. So maybe don't compare yourself to them. Like it's all about to me managing costs and managing expectations. Like manage your costs, manage how big you think you're really going to be, and be okay and understand that and be okay with it. Right. Like, I I I don't. Do you think like do you think that journalism I, I think that, is, is like that, bad right that, now? I think journalism's great right now. In general, I think that journalism is great right now, but it'll be it's going to be worse after the layoffs of last week. It's going to be worse after um, when there's a recession like it's going to like we're in, we're in a we're in good times economically and we're having um, layoffs in digital media. I think that there's um, there's layoffs in everything like every industry goes through churn like there's layoffs in no all kinds I, of businesses. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that this is like that this should be some easy churn free business. There's always been churn in this business, but I think, you know, I think winter is coming. I think it's going to be get worse. Okay, guys, that's mm -hmm. what I wanted okay. as, as the biggest <laughs> Jay and Farhad stand maybe out there. Uh, right. that, that's that old time rock and roll. Thank you guys both for coming on the show. If we ever do this again, We'll have to do it at a time when I have more time to just let you guys go. Yeah, we, we didn't even get to talk about our favorite topic, which is Tesla. So, Oh, oh no, I, like I thought I thought that was Twitter. Yeah, I thought Twitter was our favorite topic. I feel like we talk yeah, about Tesla believe, basically every failed. week. Yeah, well, Tesla's interesting. I mean, but you've quit Twitter, which is crazy. It's your whole identity. You must feel lost without it. Um, I feel okay. <laughs> it is my identity. Yeah, but okay. Your whole identity is everything you were. Now you're just a guy. You're just a guy writing uh, for the New York Times. There's like a million of you. 